Well, again, welcome to Freedom. It's good to see you today. Uh, we'll invite our kids, if they have not already exited, they can make their way out uh, the back door to move around to Suite uh, C for their teaching time. Uh, welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Good to have you be a part of uh, Freedom Online. If you can't be in the room, we're glad that you can uh, be a part of things at home or on the road. Uh, we are in a series right now. If, if you haven't been with us recently or uh, maybe you're just coming back or today's your first time with us, we've been in a series entitled The Path of Progress, and that's really what it's about. How do I make real progress in my life? How do I make progress in having a really deep, intimate relationship with God? And how do I make progress in getting rid of the junk that I just never have been able to shake loose through willpower? And how do I make progress in building the things into my life that I just never seem to get there through just wishing and wanting and New Year's resolution making? That's what this is about. And the heart of the matter is this, that we'll never make lasting progress without embracing the spiritual disciplines. Because the, the Christian spiritual disciplines are those things that position us before God in such a way that we not only encounter a much greater sense of intimacy in God's presence with us, but we tap into so much more grace and power as a result of practicing these disciplines. So we want to be really clear about this. The disciplines are never the goal. They are a means to an end. Are you with me on that? If we make the disciplines the goal, you know what we become. We become a bunch of legalists, and I don't want to be a part of that, neither do you. The, the disciplines are simply the means to get us to a place where we're positioned before God to encounter Him and to receive from Him. So we started out by talking about the first four, which were the inner disciplines. And we're mostly familiar with those. That's meditation, prayer, study, and fasting. If you weren't here for, many, for any of those, you can go to freedom on uh, myfreedomchurch.net. You can go to the, the website and uh, click on the sermons and you can uh, check out any of those. And then our last uh, meeting together that I taught uh, two weeks ago, we began the outward disciplines where we talked about simplicity. And really focusing your life around what matters most, having a much simpler center to life, that center being seeking first uh, Christ, His kingdom, and His righteousness. And so today we move on to the second of the outward disciplines, and that is the discipline that's really dis defined by two words, and that is both silence and solitude. And so as we begin to turn our attention there, I want to ask you to consider for a moment, have you noticed, and it's one of those things, it didn't happen overnight You'll have to do a little rewind to think back to what things were like 15 and 20 years ago. But have you noticed how gradually over the last 10, 15, or 20 years, how there's been a real shift in our ability to just actually be present with one another and to be focused with one another? And as you think about this, the younger the audience that you think about in terms of people that you interact with, the more you'll see what I'm talking about. Because some of us have lived long enough that we can actually remember a time when we didn't have these things in our pockets all the time. Do you remember those days in eons past? The younger generation is going, yeah, we read about those in the history books. You know, it, it hadn't been that long ago that we weren't all carrying a smartphone. But think how much just these have changed our ability to be fully present with one of you, now, one another. Now, I realize some of you are going to hear the first part of what I'm saying and think, I can't relate to that at all. Well, sit down and have a conversation with your grandkids and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. How difficult it is for many of us to be fully present with one or two other people who are in the room with us. Because instead of really focusing in and just enjoying someone else and really tuning in to what they're saying and what their body language is doing and what they're feeling, it's more a matter of going, yeah, uh-huh, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 you know what I'm talking about? Do, do you ever have these conversations where you just want to snatch that thing away and flush it down the toilet because you can't get somebody to completely dial in and be with you? It has become epidemic. It's gotten to the point that it's crippling us in our relationships because we just are losing the ability to really fully be present with someone. And it's not just poisoning our relationships with one another. It is absolutely crippling us in our relationship with God because we have, as a culture, developed spiritual ADD. Have you noticed? We don't know how to be still and quiet 
presence and just actually tune into him for even a few minutes at a time without wanting to just sort of reach over and pull this thing out and just just make sure that we haven't gotten a new facebook message uh, i just need to send this quick text you know we're right in the middle of time alone with god and it's you know the next thing we know we're checking the scores we're checking the news and we're we're checking our email and we're we're sending and receiving and it's, but but god I, i'm with you I'm, I, I'm right there with you we spend time with god the way we spend time with each other it's messed up and I'm not saying that to beat us up, but just to say we can't get to a better place if we don't realize the problem with the place where we are right now. And would you agree we have a problem? That as a culture, we, we have a problem. We don't know how to really just be present with each other. And I really think some of this is ultimately driven by the fact that we have a fear of being alone. We don't think of it in those terms, but somewhere deep down inside, we have a terrible fear of being alone and disconnected. If you don't think so, consider this. Imagine if I announced today, hey, we've got a church-wide retreat next weekend. We used to do this at my last church and really loved doing this, going away for a weekend as a church family. And if I said, hey, we're going away Friday, we're going to take 48 hours away together. And here's one of the best parts. To help us really be with each other and present with God, we're going to take up all the cell phones and laptops and tablets at the beginning of the weekend. And we'll give them back to you 48 hours later when we're ready to go home. Think about the stress that would immediately set in today dreading that i mean there's a part of us that's going yeah that would be great and yet there's a part of us that's going oh my goodness i'd freak out i'm not sure i could go on a retreat like that isn't that the truth if, if it's not you you know people in your life who would totally be wigged out by that don't you we are so bothered by the thought of truly being alone and disconnected from the world in that way and so in order to address this kind of fear we just build in all of the noise and the connections that we possibly can to make sure that we're never really alone. And I would say to you today, that has become for us a major crippling problem in our relationship with other people and our relationships with God. But Jesus offers us an alternative. He offers an alternative to the noise and the busyness and the fear of loneliness. And that alternative that he offers comes in silence and solitude. Now that may sound a little bit foreign to you. If you'll stay with me, I think you'll see that this makes a great deal of sense. One of the things that you'll see as you really press in on the disciplines is that every discipline has corresponding freedoms that come with it. And if we'll learn to practice the discipline that we'll talk about today... It brings with it a freedom from needing to always be connected to all this other stuff, a freedom from all of the noise, and most importantly, a freedom from fear of being alone, or even freedom from fear of how other people are going to mess with you when, when you're with them. At the beginning of your outline, if you want to dial in on your outlines, we said our fear of being alone drives us to noise and crowds, but loneliness and noise are not our only alternatives because Jesus gives us a different alternative. Richard Foster said this, Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. Those two are not the same as you'll see today. Loneliness is inner emptiness and solitude is inner fulfillment. The Bible says over and over in places like Luke 5.16 that Jesus often slipped away to be alone so that he could pray. Jesus was constantly having to work toward creating times when he could actually experience silence and solitude so that he could carry this mindset and this discipline of, of silence and solitude wherever he went. We can cultivate this inner reality of, of silence and solitude that frees us up from feeling lonely and feeling afraid. And I want you to understand that what we're talking about today doesn't require you to go move away to some remote island place or to the desert because what we're talking about is much more of the time it's about a mindset that you learn to operate in than it is about the environment that you're in. And as you're going to see, we're going to have to, for little windows of time, alter some things so that we experience this in our environment so that the rest of the time we're able to carry this sense of silence and solitude all the time that gives us a real settledness and a confidence and a sense of connection with God all of the time. Understand that your environment is not going to determine whether or not you practice this discipline. That's good news because we live in a busy, noisy world. 
environment won't determine this. In fact, you could become a, a desert hermit and never experience solitude. Because you see, solitude isn't just about who or what is around you or not around you. Solitude's very much about an attitude of the heart. In solitude, the big thing that we learn to do is to, with our minds, descend to a deep place in our hearts where there is, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a portable sanctuary inside of you where the Spirit of God dwells. And you have a capacity to just ease into this place where in the presence of God, you experience His nearness you're able to enter into worship. You don't have to be busy talking while you're there. You just to get to experience all of the good things that come from being in the presence of God. And here's the really cool thing. It doesn't just exist in that little quiet spot you try and get to for 15 minutes a day. You can live with that reality all of the time. You can have this dual existence where you're going through all the stuff that you do in the course of a normal day. You're interacting with people. You're doing what you have to do. And yet, there's a part of you that's descended into that little portable sanctuary where you're just in God's presence all the time. He's able to speak to you and direct you. And it, it just makes all the difference in the world in terms of what your day is like and the power that you live with. In that place, you're not escaping others you're just living with an ability to hear the, the whispers of God throughout the course of the day. And that makes all the difference in the world. For those of you who were here last week, this is what Pastor Isaiah was talking about in learning to hear the voice of God. It's not a loud voice. It's a voice that usually comes in the form of a whisper. And we've got to be people who practice the disciplines or the discipline of silence and solitude if we're going to learn to hear the whispers of God. So what I want to do in the next few minutes is... I'm going to share with you just five biblical truths about the discipline that we're talking about today. And then I'm just going to share with you some practical ways to begin to embrace this and live this out in your life. So if you're following in your outlines, the first important truth about silence and solitude is just to realize Jesus made a priority of creating times of solitude in his own life. If the Son of God had to have this, can we expect to get by with anything less? If the Son of God had to constantly make time to get away to be with his father so that he could be where he needed to be when he was with people, can you and I have any hope of making it without having those times? We, we don't have any hope without that. We've got to have these times. Mark 1 uh, sounds a lot like what Luke tells us. He says uh, in verse 35, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, I love the example I hate part of the reality of that verse because that verse is a reminder. It can be inconvenient to do what Jesus is doing. I don't like getting up early in the morning. I don't. I, I, I just, I, yes, those of you that do, God bless you. You know, I'm not part of your tribe. I was, I was born at a later time of day. I was born about one in the afternoon. That's a nice time to be with God as far as I'm concerned. Now, the truth of the matter is, you've got to find what works in your schedule, but Jesus modeled for us, you just got to find some time. It may be early in the morning, it may be late at night, it may be your lunch break. It doesn't matter, but you've got to find the time when you can have some solitude, and you're going to have to work at it. Most of us have got a lot of people clamoring for our attention. I'll guarantee you, none of us have more people wanting our attention than Jesus had. Everybody wanted some of Jesus. So he had to work at making these times. In Matthew 14, I've given you several verses in your outline. I'm going to jump all the way down to the last one. In Matthew 14:13, it says, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. The, when he heard what had happened, to remind you in that passage of what had happened, his relative and very dear friend, John, we, we know him as John the Baptist, had just been executed. He had just had his head chopped off. Imagine how that registered for Jesus. I mean, this was somebody that he loved deeply. I mean, it'll be interesting to discover in heaven just how much of a relationship they had. Jesus made it clear no one had ever lived on earth other than himself greater than John the Baptist. He held him in the highest esteem. And Jesus knew that his mission was to die. 
He had come to die for our sins. Can you imagine how real that mission became in that moment when the news arrived? John was just executed. I mean, suddenly, what was coming for Jesus looked so real and in your face. He's feeling the weight of his relative and friend's death. He's feeling the weight of his own impending death. All of that is on him. And what did Jesus do? He just knew immediately, I've just got to get away. I've got to get away from the crowds. I've got to get away from, from the, my friends. I've just got to go be alone. Have you ever had a season like that where just, man, just bad news, heavy news hit, and you just have got to go have time to just be still and alone and process and get with God? Jesus needed that. Now, as it turns out, the world didn't call time out for Jesus so he could grieve. You know how the world responded? They saw Jesus go get in a boat and try and take off across the Sea of Galilee. The problem is the Sea of Galilee isn't a sea. It's a lake. It's just like the very northern end of Mobile Bay. And if you can imagine, you know, masses of people following you. You can't jump in a car and get away. You can't jump in a plane and escape. So the best you can do is hop in a boat and row as hard as you can. And Jesus hopped in a boat and he started rowing for the other side. The problem is, I've been there. You can see to the other side. And so the crowd's like, he's headed that way. Let's head north. And so they're just taking off on foot. And this massive crowd follows him around to the other side. So by the time he lands, there's a crowd waiting for him. And Jesus, even though his heart is broken and he's grieving and he needs desperately to be alone, it says that he, he felt sorry for them. Because they were all bringing along their sick and, and disabled friends and family members and, and he just saw how needy they were and so he healed them. And it took all day because Jesus didn't, he didn't do the TV showmanship kind of thing of just, everybody be well. He ministered to people one at a time. And it would take a long time. And by the time that was all finished, everybody was exhausted. And people were so hungry, they had just hurried off from home and nobody had brought food. And so he winds up blessing the fishes and the loaves and he feeds thousands. Needing so desperately to be alone and he's surrounded by thousands who are in need of healing and they're hungry. And just it's like it just won't let up. You ever feel that way in life? You ever just feel like you need to call time out and tell the world, you know, go call Dr. Phil or somebody else, but don't call me. Yeah, we all get there. And yet Jesus is still giving. When the tank is low, he's still giving away. But he, he knows it is now imperative. I have got to get alone. And so he takes care of everyone and he says, go home now. And even to the disciples, his closest buddies, he says, hey guys, I love you. But here's what I want you to do. Get in that boat and go somewhere else. He does. He loads them up and he just ships them out. I'll catch up with you. And so in verse 23, it says, When he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. Evening came, and he was alone. Jesus is working hard to create some solitude. Now, I'll just say this as, a, as an aside. We don't really know the details of it. But do you remember what happened next in this story? Jesus is up. He's just being alone with God, just thinking through all of this. And he can see... As he looks down the hillside, he can see the whole Sea of Galilee and the disciples trying to row to get to the other side like he told them to do. It's now the middle of the night and a storm has come up on them. And they are struggling. They're trying to figure out if they're going to make it across. They're, they're rowing against the waves. And you remember what happens next in the story, don't you? Jesus comes down the mountain and he just starts strolling across the, the lake walking on water. He apparently didn't ask him to leave him a boat. And so he's just walking on the water. And, I mean... I, I don't know. Maybe this didn't mean anything. But it's interesting that if you read carefully, Jesus wasn't going to the boat. He was going to the other side. He was, going, he was in the process of passing them by. And the disciples freaked out and said, it's a ghost. Because they couldn't imagine a real person walking on water like that. And they had to essentially hail Jesus and create an interaction with Jesus. It's just kind of funny to me to realize we think Jesus is going to rescue these guys. Jesus is going to the other side. It's almost like it, the story reads like Jesus is so desperate to be alone. It's kind of like, boys, I know you're going to get there. Keep on rowing. I'm going to the other side. I need some time alone. And, you know, they call out to him and realize that it's Jesus. And he finally winds up interacting with them there. But the point is, Jesus is constantly having to work at creating some little windows of time when he can be alone. And, in fact, one more reminder. I could give you a long list of these. I've only given you a few. But in Mark chapter 6, 
It says then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, to, to the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some, what? Rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I just want to point out to you that this was a, a point in the narrative of Jesus passing the ministry on to the disciples where he has sent them out two by two to go do the things that he's been capable of doing. I'm sure that totally wigged them out. They couldn't imagine doing it. It had always been the Jesus show, and now Jesus wasn't even going to be physically with them as they went out two by two in six different directions. And they're shocked to discover that he has indeed given them the ability to heal diseases, to cast out demons and to preach with authority, which are the three things that Jesus was doing. And so now crowds are flocking to six different little pockets where these disciples have gone out two by two. And now there are big crowds following them. And when they reconvene at the appointed time with Jesus, now six different crowds are coming together and the word is spreading. And it has just become holy mayhem as everybody. I mean, there's no Mayo Clinic to go to. You're not going to go to some great medical center if you have a family member who's critically ill. You've just heard the only hope you're going to have for your loved one to get well has come in the person of Jesus and his followers. So everybody all over the countryside, they're flocking to get to this place. And now it's like, wow, have you seen, guys, the crowds? They're just getting bigger and bigger. Isn't this cool? Hey, did you hear what I did with a sick person? Yeah, did you hear my story? I mean, they're just so jacked over what's going on, and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. This is what we were hoping for. Man, this thing's about to take off. We're going to have to rent the convention center, maybe the Colosseum. We'll go on the road. We'll take it to Athens. We'll go to Rome. We're going to take the world by storm, right? And Jesus goes, hey, guys. I know what we need. We need to get away. We can't do that, Jesus. I mean, don't you see the crowds? I mean, the numbers are growing. We don't even have time to stop and eat. This is great. This is what we were hoping for. And Jesus said, no, not exactly. What we need right now is not to try and grow bigger crowds. What you need is to join me in just escaping the crowd because this isn't sustainable. We've got to go just get alone right now. And so that's what they did. They left the crowds. That's about as counterintuitive as anything could be, isn't it? Don't you know if, if that were us, if that were Freedom Church? And now, look at the, the thousands. Man, this thing is growing. What are we going to rent next? Where are we going to go? This is great. And in the middle of that, the voice of Jesus saying, Time out. It's not about the, the bigger, better, next thing. Let's don't forget that in the heart of all this is a personal connection with God that has to be balanced with all of this ministry and activity. The ministry will lose its power if you don't stay dialed in to a personal daily relationship where you get along with the Father. So guys, yeah, I know the crowds are there. They're going to come back. But we've got to take time out. Do you see a really important lesson in this? As busy as life becomes, and can we just all agree, life is busy. How many of you would say you feel busy right now, just in life? Just, we're just a bunch of busy people, aren't we? D- does life feel more or less busy now than it did five years ago? Ten years ago? Fifteen years ago? I would dare say for most of us who at least who haven't hit retirement, will say it just seems to get more and more busy. And the funny thing is, most retired people who I talk to are so busy, they're like, I don't know how I ever worked. I'm so busy. I mean, retired people in the room, can you agree with that? Can I hear an amen? It just never slows down on its own. It didn't for Jesus. The fact that he didn't have TV, internet, or social media did not prevent him from being constantly pressed in on. And he had to make it a constant priority to create times of solitude. Second truth we'll say is this. In the middle of noise and confusion, we can still settle into a deep inner silence in God's presence. A day that's filled with noise and voices can still be a day of silence. Now that may sound foreign. I'm not playing word games with you. When you learn to practice the disciplines of solitude and silence, it can be a busy world around you for the vast majority of the day. And you still experience this discipline all the time. Because you see, the goal is not to just create constant quiet around you. That's not the goal at all. 
The goal here is to, to come to a place where we live in God's presence all the time. So that we can be with God at all times and realize He's with us. And that we can actually truly be present with other people as we learn to, to practice this discipline. So in order to do that all the time, we're going to have to have some set times. Some little windows of time when we are just uniquely with God in a truly quiet place. So that in all the busy and loud places, we still have a keen awareness of his presence. Does that make sense? All right, let's press on. Number three. Though silence sometimes includes the absence of speech, it always includes the act of listening. You can refrain from talking, but fail to listen. And you have not practiced the discipline of solitude or silence if you're not listening. Listening is the key in this. Shutting our mouths is just getting halfway there, but we haven't accomplished much unless we tune in to the voice of God when we get quiet. There's an old proverb that says, all who open their mouths close their eyes. A lot of truth in that, isn't there? We tend to close our ears too. But we, when we're running our mouths, we just be- tend to become so blinded to what God is saying and doing. So the purpose of silence and solitude is to see and hear more clearly. Fourth truth. Control, rather than the absence of noise, is the key to silence. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, For everything there's a season, a time to be quiet, and a time to speak. Now when we talk about the disciplines of silence and solitude, the discipline of silence more than the absence of noise around us is about learning to control how much we speak. Yes, uh, just like in you know, prayer and meditation, we, we already covered these, but just a reminder, when we talk about prayer and meditation, we want to carry a spirit of prayer and meditation all the time, right? I mean, the scripture says, pray continually, pray without ceasing. How do you do this? Well, a part of that is you have to have these little windows of time where the only thing that's going on is I'm being alone with God. To talk and to listen. And by having these little windows of time each day, it enables me to learn to be dialed in so that I'm in a conversation with God where I'm aware of his presence and tuned into his voice all day long. But I have to have these little windows of time each day where that's the only thing going on so that through the rest of the day when other things are happening, I'm still carrying that with me, right? Well, it's the same with this discipline. Creating little pockets of time. Where there truly is outward silence, there is absolute solitude, so that now all day long I can carry a sense of that with me throughout the day. Now in the doing of that, I'm not going to keep the world around me quiet all day long, but I have to learn to control how much noise I'm making throughout the course of the day. It doesn't mean we become like a bunch of monks who walk around in robes with our heads down and never speak. That's not the point at all, but it does, learn, it does mean that we have to learn when to speak and when to shut up. And here's where I have to confess, I am the chief of sinners. I run my mouth for it. Jackie's laughing. Just, you know, she knows that this is the part in the message where she's like, yeah, you better tell the truth. I talk for a living. I mean, think about it. There are a bunch of us that do that. If you're a preacher, you kind of, among other things, you talk for a living. If you're in sales, Jim sells cars. You got to talk for a living. You don't sell cars by standing there with your hands in your pockets, do you? You got to talk to sell cars. If you're a counselor, you talk for a living. I mean, if you're a teacher, you talk for a living. Those of us who talk for a living struggle to practice this discipline. Part of the discipline of silence and solitude. Yeah, if you're, I, I see Becky back there punching Betsy. Betsy, you talk for a living the same as I do. <laughs> she argues for a living. Yeah, that's even better, isn't it? How much fun that would be as an attorney to get to argue for a living. <laughs> if, you, if you practice the discipline of solitude, you have to work at learning to measure your words. It doesn't mean that you don't speak. You speak with measured words. And your words have more meaning because there aren't so many of them. And because you're thoughtful about them. Proverbs 25.11 says this. The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. The right words spoken at the right time. And it's interesting how this applies in the place of worship. 
Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon says this, Watch your steps when you go to God's house. It's more acceptable to listen than to offer the fool's sacrifice. Don't be quick with your mouth or say anything hastily before God. Now that passage is worth going home and meditating on. I'm just going to tell you, you might want to star that one and go home and chew on that one. Because the point is, when we come into worship, very much like when we go into our personal times of prayer, Solomon says, you need to be real thoughtful about how much you say in worship and how quickly you say it. The point being this, as you've heard me say about prayer before, you know, when you pray, it's a two-way conversation. So consider the question, which is more important, what you say in prayer or what God says in prayer? That ain't hard to figure out. Yes, thank you. What God says when we pray is far more important than what we say, and yet what percentage of the time is prayer me running my mouth? I don't want to tell you what that number is. It's really high. I do way too much of the talking in my prayer time. That's why I'm having to work at learning this discipline, the discipline of meditation. He says the same is true in worship. He says don't offer the sacrifice of fools. What's the sacrifice of fools? It's the thing that Jesus warned against. In the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, you know, don't think that God hears you because of your many words. Blah, 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 blah. Our most blessed and benevolent Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy manifold blessings. God is going, you make me sick. You're offering the sacrifice of fools. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in a real heart connection and us just really communicating with each other here. So he said, don't, don't be quick to run to ritual and blah, blah, blah. Lots of words. Control rather than the absence of noise is the key to silence. Fifth truth is this. Silence teaches us to trust that God will care for us. Reputations and all. Isaiah 50.10 says, if you're walking in darkness without a ray of light. Let me see by a show of hands. How many of you would say in the last few months or even in the last few years, you went through a season of darkness? Real darkness and difficulty. Just about everybody would say that. All right, this is for you. This is for me. If you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Now, what does the discipline of silence and solitude have to do with trusting God? Everything. Let me tell you how these are connected. It's not hard to see. Words become our most important tool in managing people and situations. Words are our biggest tool in staying in control. Have you ever thought about it? It's how we manage stuff. With our words. We manage our image. Our reputation. We manage conflict. We we do all of this with our words. And so silence becomes a very tangible way of expressing trust in God. I struggle with this immensely. Oh, how I do. And let me tell you how that looks at my house. When I screw up, and I often do, I have to explain. Now, I have lived inside of marriage for more than 25 years, and so I have learned very well how to apologize. Anybody who's lived married for very long, you've either learned to apologize, or you've learned to to be miserable or make somebody miserable. Amen? Amen. We, We have to learn to apologize. Apologize, but I have this major problem. It's just the truth. It's a butt problem. I love to follow, not this butt, this butt, the butts that come out of here. It's, my problem is this. I love to follow an apology with a big butt. And then I follow that butt with my explanation for why. See, I need for you to understand. I need to explain. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings, but the reason I said that was, see, what I need you to understand is I didn't mean anything harmful. I didn't mean anything hurtful. When I didn't do what you were trusting me to do, when I didn't do what I should have done, see, I didn't mean to disappoint you. I didn't mean to let you down. Let me explain to you. See, if you would just understand me, you wouldn't be hurt at me. Oh, good heavens. That ain't even worth clapping over. I mean, it's just pitiful. It's the truth. It, it, you know what I'm doing? And, and don't look down on me because half of you do it too. We, we feel the need to defend and justify ourselves. 
And you know what silence does? Silence allows the truth to just be exposed and it allows God alone to be our justifier. And that's a really good thing to do. To just be able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And I don't get to defend my reputation. I don't get to explain my motives. I just trust God to be my justifier. And sometimes that means I just take some lumps along the way. Well, that would be unfortunate, wouldn't it? It would actually look a little bit, just a little bit like what Jesus experienced. Who, when accused, when attacked, didn't defend himself, didn't explain his motives. He just kept his mouth closed. It's a tough act to follow, isn't it? It's a tough example to follow. This becomes a practical exercise in trusting God. Because deep down inside, we're going, well, if I don't explain... If I don't express, if I don't tell you what the real deal was, why I was thinking, why I didn't do this, if I don't tell you that, who's going to take control of this situation? I'll tell you who's going to take control. The one who already was in control, God is. And he's able to protect you and me and our reputations. And so silence becomes a real practical way of saying, God, I trust you. I trust you to be able to take care of me, to be able to take care of this relationship, to be able to take care of this situation. Hard to get fired up about that thought, isn't it? And yet there's real peace in that, that God is able. And sometimes the less we say, the more we leave room for God's grace to cover the situation. I can't tell you how many times I made a bigger mess out of just a little deal that I then needed to explain. And it was only this big when I started explaining. And by the time I got through explaining, we had a big that was this big. Anybody else ever done that? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get down to business. Those are some truths about it. Now, just in real quick fashion, I want to just give you seven different practical ways to embrace silence and solitude in our lives. These aren't steps that one has to follow the other. These are just seven different practical ways to do it. And the first one may be the most practical, and it is take advantage of the little solitudes that fill our days. You see... The danger for us in looking at the disciplines is that we would think, oh my goodness, here are all of these things that I've got to add to my routine now. You're giving me all these other disciplines I've got to practice. So now I've got to carve out all this time to do silence and solitude. No, you don't. You really don't. I promise you. If you'll just look for them, you have a bunch of little solitudes in an ordinary day and night. I'll give you just some real quick examples. How many times do you go to bed at night planning to you know, get to sleep early so you'll wake up feeling rested and you find out, ah, I couldn't get to sleep. Or you were able to get to sleep but you wake up in the middle of the night, can't go back to sleep. Or you know, the one I really hate, you wake up 30 minutes or an hour before the alarm clock goes off and it's like, ah, I'm never going to get back to sleep. And you could just lay there and toss and turn and grit your teeth over how unfortunate you were to lose that sleep. Or you could say, ah, this is one of those little solitudes. I may have somebody in bed right here next to me, but they're asleep. I have quiet time alone with God. It doesn't mean I have to get busy saying my prayers. I can just descend into that inner sanctuary where the Spirit of Christ dwells. And I can just be still in God's presence and claim this time. Time in bed like that can be one of those little solitudes. How about when you're driving down the road? We all have to drive multiple places, most of us, every day. Simple thing to do. Doesn't mean you always have to do this, but it's a great idea. You may just, on one of your drives during the day, to tune out the other things. Now, I'm a multitasker, so when I'm driving, I love to return phone calls and stuff and take care of other things that I can while I drive. But I'm trying to be more intentional to just make sure that at least one of my drives during the day, there's no radio, there are no phone calls, and I just let the time in my vehicle just be quiet space alone with God, reclaiming that time. Some other ones to consider when you're walking or exercising. Hopefully that's a part of, of routine for many of us. That's a great time to do that. You may plug in your headphones with nothing playing just to sort of tune out the other noise around you and let that be time for you to, to practice this discipline. Uh, some of you are parents raising little kids 
And you feel like, I would love to practice this discipline if it weren't for my children. Hey, it may come in little bite-sized pieces. It may come in the form of you saying, hey guys, let's play the quiet game. Let's see if we can be totally quiet for five minutes. The first person to speak loses and just claim those five minutes. Thank you, Jesus, for five minutes. I get to be alone in the quiet with you. Here's another one you may not have tried lately. Just before you go to bed at night, slip outside for five minutes. Go out on your balcony, your patio, your back porch, whatever, and just enjoy the quiet of being alone with God. Get where you can see the sky. Hey, it may be when you go to roll the garbage can out to the street at night. Don't just rush back in the house. Take five minutes to just enjoy the beauty of what God has made, the vastness of the night sky, and just be quiet and alone in God's presence and let him speak to you in that moment. We need to redeem these little snatches of time. Secondly, find or create a quiet space in your home that's designated for silence and solitude. And, and let me just say this. It's good for you to be pretty uh, explicit with your family about this. That, hey, we want to work with each other in this. You know, with our mate, I want you to have your safe space and I need to have that. And so have a a little spot that's designated that your mate can just know that if you're in that room or you're in that chair, that that's sort of your spot that you go to have a little quiet time with the Lord. You know, a back porch is a great spot to do that. Um, A lot of times I'll I'll do it at my desk, but I'll tell you my most peculiar place that's a, a spot that I just will occasionally just... Be still. Just grab those little snatches of time to be alone with the Lord. In our closet, off of our bedroom, which is at the far end of the house, furthest away from everything, I have a little chair in my end of the closet. When I just have to go carry clothes back there, put clothes away, whatever, I just love to sit down in my chair and just claim just a few minutes of time. That may sound goofy to you, but I I feel the safest in my little box back there to sit down in my chair in the closet that I'm going to be undisturbed for a couple of minutes just to catch my breath and be alone with God. I don't care if you have to claim a closet. Stick a chair in it. Get alone with God there. But find your spot. A third thing that's just tied to that is find quiet spaces outside your home to visit, such as a park bench or a church sanctuary or someplace you can go. Now, I'll say, unfortunately, because we don't office here, our sanctuary isn't open during the week. But our sister church, it truly is our sister church, is Grace Anglican uh, Father Scott Davis is the pastor there, and uh, they're located next to McDonald's in Fairhope. If you want a wonderful, quiet, worshipful place to go be still during the week, use their sanctuary. Um, It's right next to McDonald's, easy, convenient spot to get to. Or there are other churches that are open. But I'll tell you, two of my favorite spots to go to practice away from home, just silence and solitude. There's a park bench on the bluff overlooking the bay in Fairhope that I love to go just be alone with God there. Or I love to just drive into the park. And there's one little hump that you can see across the bay very well. That's just a spot I have countless times over the years just gone to just be quiet and still in God's presence. You find your spot that works for you. A fourth thing, experiment with doing deeds for others with no words or explanation. And we'll talk more about this next week. But just serve somebody else in Jesus' name and don't do anything to explain it. Just keep it zipped. Just let your words do all the talking. Number five, uh, seek to discipline yourself so that you use words that are few and full. Obey Jesus' instruction. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no, anything beyond this is from the evil one. So, fewer words, fuller words. Number six, as an experiment, boy, this would drive some of us crazy, but seek to live one entire day without any words. Now, you're going to have to be thoughtful about that. If you're married, you want to pick a day when your spouse is going to be tied up or out of town or something. Because, listen, the, the doing of this discipline is not we're having a fight, so I'm going to punish you by not talking to you all day long. That, that's not the discipline of silence and solitude. That, that's, you know, bad anger management right there. No, just to pick a day. And for an entire day, just no words. The point not being that I didn't speak. The point being, I'm going to be more dialed into what God is saying all day and see what happens there. The seventh and final thing I'll mention is this. Take two, three, four hours, at least a couple of times a year, if not three or four times a year, to silently reevaluate your goals, your dreams, and your plans. 
Where do you want to be a year from now? And where do you see yourself being ten years from now? Which, by the way, it's funny. We will tend to way overestimate what we can do in one year and way underestimate what can, what can be accomplished in ten years. And we need to be thoughtful about where are we going in the years to come and to write these things down. Goals, dreams, and plans. Now, I know the moment that I say this, some of you already dialed, just tuned me out on that because the whole idea of doing that sounds like, oh, that just sounds like New Year's resolutions and nobody ever follows through on that. Don't think in those terms. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is don't think in terms of you dreaming up new goals and plans. No. Think in terms of you discovering God's dreams, goals, and plans for your life. Because you're going somewhere in the next five years. God has a real good idea of what that looks like. And he loves giving us insight on that. So instead of you dreaming things up and writing them down, just making up goals, why don't you think of this as a a spiritual exercise to regularly get alone for an extended period of time and say, God, I just want to be quiet in your presence and allow you to help me think through where my life is heading. And take into account, what are the things that your heart's leaning toward? What are you yearning for? What are you finding yourself interested in and passionate about? And just in the presence of the Lord, process that. So God, what is that? I don't think I'm just making that up. I feel my heart again and again returning to these things. And it may be stuff that's way outside the box for you, that's totally new for you. I mean, maybe it's something that's so far beyond your profession and beyond what you ever were trained in or have any expertise in, and yet you find yourself feeling like, I, don't, I can't explain it. There's something in me that wants to, to work with children with disabilities. And I've never done that. God, am I making that up or did you put that in me? Help me to think this through, God. And How do I develop that? Where, where do I go with that? God, I, I feel this drive in me to, uh, to actually want to learn to play music or to write or to do pottery or to... to further my education or to learn this language and I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do with that. God, help me to think that through. What can I do about that or with that in the next year or five years or ten years? What are you doing here? And just begin to write out. Be sure to journal this every time. And and as you return in a few months, go back to the same thing and watch things develop. You will discover the voice of God speaking to you, giving direction. Don't just make up where your life's going the next five or ten years. Be still in God's presence and let him give definition to that. Make sense? The neat effect in all of this is the, the discipline isn't the goal. It's the freedom and the results that come with that. The fruit of this kind of solitude is going to be increased sensitivity to God's voice, greater compassion for others, and ability to be very much present with God and with other people. I don't know if you've ever done much with a compass before. Uh, there, there was a time that I was into to hiking and you know blazing trails in the deep in the wilderness and having to use a map and compass and doing that. If you've never fooled with a compass, when you when you fiddle around with a compass and you know you're just shaking it and, and you know got it turned every which way, the thing about a compass needle is it can't find north when you're just moving around and you're just shaking it all around. It, the, the needle is just all over the place. But if you'll just take a compass and just get it still and flat for just a moment, you know what'll happen 100% of the time. That needle will always find north. But it's got to have a moment to get still and flat to do that. And it will immediately reorient itself. The discipline of solitude and silence, it's just that. If you don't practice this discipline, the noise and the busyness of life, we become like that compass needle. We sit in solitude. Life is all about seeking Christ, a relationship with Him, seeking His kingdom and His kingdom agenda in our lives. And that's... That's spiritual north for us. And we need to constantly get reset to him and what he's saying and what his agenda is. But the business of life can just keep us pointed in so many directions that we can't find north. But every day as we take a little bit of time to get still, boy, our hearts will immediately find north again. 
they'll get reoriented around what really matters and hearing the voice of God. But we've got to have these little windows of time that enable us in that moment to dial back in on north. And the cool thing is, once you have had that little window of time each day, it gives you the ability, when you walk out of that quiet time, to stay pointed north all the time. See, if you've ever done orienteering where you're actually using a map and compass and, and you're hiking, what you do is you pause every so often to get still. And you check your compass. You actually line up your compass. You look through the little eyepiece. And, and you find something that you can see in the distance that lines up with your heading. And then you can put your compass down and shake it around all that you need to while you walk to that thing. And then you have to stop again. And you pull out your compass and you reorient yourself on the correct heading. And you find another object that's right on your heading and you keep marching. What that gives you the ability to do is you have all these little windows of time when you pause. You get reoriented and now you're able to march in the right direction all the way until you get there. Do you see how that becomes a picture of what we're talking about? We stay on course all day long, dialed in, as we take these little, we claim all these little windows of time to be alone with God and to recognize we're in the presence of God and to listen for the voice of God. And so it would be silly for us to conclude today without just claiming a little window of time to do that right now. So I'm going to invite you, you just get in the most comfortable spot that you can get in. Sit, kneel, lay, whatever you need to do, just, just get in a comfortable spot, bow your head. And if you're watching and listening online, I'm going to invite you to just do this little simple exercise with us. There's no magic to what we're about to do. God is present with us here today. And we're just going to take this a little window of time to be still in his presence. I'm not going to invite you to talk through this time. I'm not going to cover this time with my words. You may just want to open by just saying, oh God, I want to draw near to you. And I invite you to speak to me. The point isn't that you've got to come away with some fresh, important word. Just allow yourself to enjoy in just these quiet moments, just being near to God, listening for anything that He may want to say to you. Allow your imagination to be engaged as you draw near to God in quietness.